Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest Split the Difference podcast, which explores differences between the EU and UK regulatory regimes in the market space. My name is Simon Lovegrove, Global Director of Financial Services Knowledge, and today I'm joined by Hannah Meakin and Jonathan Herbst, both financial services partners in our London office, Georgia Nagelkirk, a financial services partner in our Amsterdam office, and Anna Carrier, a legal consultant in our financial services regulatory and government relations practice in Brussels. Welcome to you all. And in this podcast, we will take a look at the FCA's recent policy statement 23.4, which updates the UK equity secondary markets regime and see how the new rules compare with the EU regime. As many of our listeners will know, the FCA policy statement introduces various changes to address deficiencies in the UK's post-trade transparency regime, pre-trade transparency waivers, and also the tick size regime. So if we could kick off today's podcast with Hannah and start by looking at the proposed changes to the waivers from pre-trade transparency requirements. As our listeners may know, UK MIFIR provides for pre-trade transparency, which essentially requires orders and quotes broadcast for a trading venue systems to be publicly displayed before execution. However, UK MIFIR also permits waivers from these requirements in circumstances where the transparency does not support price formation. In the FCA's policy statement, the FCA is planning to amend two of the current pre-trade transparency waivers, the reference price waiver and also the order management facility waiver. Hannah, could you start by providing some color on the reference price waiver? Yes, of course. The reference price waiver, which is available to systems where orders are matched at a reference price determined by other systems, requires the reference price to be sourced either from the trading venue where that instrument was first admitted to trading or from the most relevant market in terms of liquidity. Currently, both of those sources are restricted to UK trading venues, so they don't permit data from overseas venues to be used. And this has an impact where overseas shares have their primary primary markets, so where the primary markets are overseas venues, um, because they're likely to show tighter spreads and, and higher liquidity. So the FTA is going to amend this waiver to permit prices from overseas venues for shares that are admitted to trading on those overseas venues to be used. Okay, interesting. And the other waiver? The other waiver which is going to be amended is the order management facility waiver, which caters for iceberg orders and stop orders. So the new rules will permit the trading venues rather than the FCA to impose minimum size thresholds for iceberg and other orders using the waiver because the FCA has has decided that the trading venues are better placed to impose those thresholds than itself. Uh, Thank you, Hannah. Now let's turn to the EU where pre-trade transparency is also a big topic in the ongoing EU MIFIR review. Anna, could you tell us a little bit more about this? Yes, of course, Simon. This is all correct. The proposed amendments to the pre- and post-trade transparency regime for all asset classes are a big part of the ongoing review review. But focusing on the changes in respect of equities and pre-trade transparency specifically, the European Commission proposed to introduce a minimum threshold trade size for the reference price waiver, preventing any alternative trading venue venues from executing small trade sizes under the reference price waiver. This proposal has been further amended in the course of the legislative review, and it seems that the compromise position would would maintain the reference price waiver unchanged, and the negotiated trade waiver would 
decalculated those systems that formalize negotiated transactions which are made within this within the current volume weighted spread reflected on the order book or the quotes of the market makers of the trading venue operating that system and the corresponding change to the pre-trade transparency regime that it's worth uh, mentioning here includes removal of vo double volume cap and its replacement with a single seven percent cap of the total volume traded in a given equity instrument in the EU. Thank you, Anna. And now moving back to the UK, uh, can you, Jonathan, explain a little bit more about the changes to the UK tick size regime, which I understand are similar? Yes, of course. Um, so just to remind everybody, tick sizes, of course, are the minimum increment between quoted prices in a uh, relevant financial instrument. So look, the, the key thing here is the UK is going to move away from the historic requirement just to have UK only source data where you've got uh, overseas shares. Seems very sensible. It's, it's a very typical kind of pragmatic change that the FCA is proposing. And now uh, you'll be able to use the um, you know, reference data from the overseas primary market for these purposes. Thank you, Jonathan. And Florida, are there similar proposals being considered in the context of the EU MIFIR review? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So the European Commission proposes to amend the regime whereby the SI, so the systemic internalizers, would be allowed to match the orders large in scale at midpoint within the current bid and offer prices. So matching orders at midpoint with, uh, within the current bid and offer prices below large in scale, but above twice the standard market size shall be allowed insofar as the SI complies with the tick size regime. Again, the Commission's proposal has been further discussed by the co-legislators and it appears that the compromise solution would allow SIs to match orders at midpoint within the current bid and offer prices without any threshold condition. Thank you, Flora. Um, just moving back to the UK, the FCA policy statement also contains changes to the post-trade transparency regime. Jonathan, could you tell us a little bit more about these changes? Well, yes, yes, of course. Thanks, Simon. I mean, so look, there's an enormous amount of detail in the paper. Uh, the nutshell version of this is that they are proposing to expand the list of uh, exemptions, you know, for post-trade transparency, simplify them and achieve much greater consistency and limit the duplications in the use of the trade identification flags. It's a hugely complicated couple of chapters, but I think anyone who's interested would be very happy to talk about it in further detail. But I think one could talk for hours, but you'd be pleased to know I won't. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, also, the FDA is changing the conditions under which investment firms are required to report trades executed over the counter by creating a designated reporter regime. Before describing the regime, can you just say a few words, providing us with some of the background, Hannah? Yes, of course. So under the current MIFID II reporting regime, for a trade between an investment firm and a non-investment firm, the investment firm is required to report all the trades it executes with the non-investment firm. Where the trade involves two investment firms, if one investment firm is a systematic internalizer in the instrument being traded, then it, the systematic internalizer investment firm, is required to take on the reporting obligations where the other investment firm is not a systematic internalizer in that instrument. And then where both parties are either systematic internalizers or neither party is a systematic internalizer, then it's the seller that has to do the post-trade reporting. Okay, thanks. And, and Hannah, what happens under the designated reporter regime? 
So under this new designated reporter regime, firms can elect to register themselves as a designated reporter by notifying the FCA. A firm will be able to be a designated reporter regardless of whether it's a systematic internalizer or not. So the designated reporter status will apply to all that firm's reportable trades across all financial instruments. Where it's trading with a non-designated reporter, the designated reporter will be responsible for reporting all trades. Where neither or both parties are a designated reporter, then the seller will report. However, parties can bilaterally agree explicitly in advance which party will fulfill the reporting obligation. So this addresses the issue of a seller having the regulatory obligation to report, but no arrangements to actually make the report public um, in, as a matter of fact. Thank you, Hannah. And if I could come back to the EU regime now. Anna, are there any corresponding changes being considered in the context of the MIFIR review? Yes, there were some changes in this context as well. So in, the, in respect of post-trade disclosures by investment firms and um, SIs, some targeted amendments are being considered in the context of MIFIR review. And specifically, the co-legislators agreed to introduce a designated publishing entity regime um, and this is interesting because this proposal was not included in the original commission proposal. Um, so they propose um, that where one, where only one party to a transaction is designated a publishing entity, and there's a process foreseen for that, that party would be responsible for making the transactions public through the approved publication arrangement. An investment firm can obtain the status of a designated publishing entity per specified classes of financial instruments upon submitting a request to its national competent authority. Um, the SIs would be designated publishing entities for the classes of financial instruments for which there are SIs. And ESMA would maintain the register of all designated publishing entities. Thank you, um, Anna. If I could go back to the UK now. Now, under the UK's Wholesale Markets Review and also in its previous consultation paper, the SCA noted that it was looking at improving market-wide resilience during outages. Jonathan, uh, where has the SCA got on this? Yes, I mean, it's very important, uh, this area, particularly in the light of the ION outage. So um, the policy statement makes a number of proposals. I mean, the, the core underlying point, of course, is the confidence in the resilience of trading venues is, is fundamental to maintaining orderly markets, of course. And any market outage can have you know, very key implications for the market as a whole. So in that context, there are three main policy areas that the FCA wants to focus on. Number one, development of a playbook for handling outages. This is sort of a common theme in a number of areas, but I, I think that's obviously going to be a lot of work for the trading venues. Secondly, exploring alternatives to the closing auction operated by the primary market from a pricing perspective. And thirdly, the amendment of the scope of the reference price waiver. Um, clearly an important area to look at, and there's going to be lots of detailed work on procedures to follow. Thanks, Jonathan. And out of interest, how did the market react to all of this? Um, I think it's generally been received with broad support. Uh, it's an important area. I mean, there obviously are some detailed bits of work that people are doing. Uh, in particular, people are looking at good practice guidelines. And uh, it's been confirmed that there's going to be a subcommittee of the secondary markets advisory committee to work on good practices 
reflecting the, the views of the relevant stakeholders. Uh, it's also fair to say the FCA is also working with trade venues to develop their own communication protocols and procedures on handling outages. I think the big question here is going to be whether you end up with a sort of one size fits all or a very tailored approach in common with other areas one suspects one will end up with something slightly in between. Thank you, Jonathan. And just keeping with the UK for the moment, um, Hannah, um, has the FCA said anything more about a consolidated tape? Yes, the, consul the consultation paper also discussed arrangements for an alternative closing price and in response to the respondent's support for consolidated tape, which they considered would be a more robust and reliable reference price for continuous trading and closing periods when the primary market's down. The FCA can confirm that it will be developing a consolidated tape regime along with HM Treasury, and this will continue to be consulted on in due course. Thank you, Hannah. And um, just moving back to the EU now, and Flodja, are there any similar developments taking place in the EU? Yeah, so uh, again, also in, uh, in, in the EU, there are some developments. So in September last year, ESMA has consulted stakeholders on the draft guidelines for market outages. And uh, last month, uh, ESMA published its final report uh, on it and set out its conclusions on a number of elements it had sought feedback on, such as the outage plan, reopening of trading, closing auctions, reference price, and outages on non-equity trading venues. So I think you see quite similar uh, topics as in the, in, the, in the UK. So, but in the interest of time, perhaps it's worth commenting on two elements only. In respect of the outage plan, ESMA broadly maintained its recommendations that trading venues should maintain the outage plan. The plan should be updated every two years, uh, but following negative feedback, it hasn't included a specific template uh, for the, the plan in its opinion. With regard to the provision of information on the status of orders, ESMA decided to keep the one hour time limit, <clears throat> limit for trading venues to inform market participants, but added that the uh, uh, regulator, regulators should require trading venues to indicate which orders may be impacted in their initial outage communication, if it's already clear, of course, at that point in time. Finally, ESMA stated that the um, regulators are expected to require trading venues to insert in their strategy the order book purchase a possible tool, uh, but to leave to their discretion on its deployment on a case-to-case -case basis. Um, and the other thing is market reopening. Here, ESMA confirmed that trading venues should have discretion on how to reopen trading, but recommends that a pre-opening phase should be considered by the trading venue. Thank you, Florja. Um, my next question, the SDA policy statement also briefly covers the feedback the SDA has received on the UK market for retail orders. Uh, Jonathan, could you say a few words about this? Yes, of course. Thanks, Simon. I mean, it's a slightly odd one, to be honest. Uh, I think the, just to wind back slightly, the consultation paper sought views on uh, whether in the UK market um, the practitioners thought and participants thought that the market for retail orders works well or not, and how you know, best execution could be strengthened while enhancing the efficiency and liquidity of the markets. The policy statement effectively said you know, only a minority of the respondents thought it's working well. The majority think it's not working well. And, you know, with varying degrees of criticism of how the market is working. But they didn't go on to then have specific proposals. What the FCA has said is it's going to continue to work, talk to stakeholders, you know. So I think it's one of those wait and see ones where there's clearly an important issue here. I think many of us have been aware of that for many years but not quite clear which direction the actual policy proposals are going to go in or when they're going to come out. 
Thanks, Jonathan. And I also understand that in the EU, there has also been some recent developments concerning retail clients. Claudia, could you tell us briefly about this? Yeah, so actually, there's a lot of happening uh, uh, on the retail space. So perhaps uh, we should... Uh consider having a specific podcast on that but that's for, for later but just uh, to highlight some key points so last week the European Commission published the uh, EU retail investment strategy package which, which was uh, long awaited and the aim uh, for this strategy is to uh, get uh, retail investors to take more informed investment decisions that could well better say correspond to their investment needs and objectives so the uh, commission proposes uh, certain really specific changes to number of the EU financial services legislative uh, acts such as MIFID, AFMD and USITS and one of the most heavily debated elements of these proposals even well before the publication was the inducements part so um, I think also already under MIFID 2 it was debated and MIFID 1 but uh, the European Commission favored introducing a full ban on the inducement but the in the end uh, the proposal stopped short of including a blanket ban on all inducements so instead uh, and was not changing the existing regime on inducements regarding independent advice and portfolio management the commission intends to strengthen the inducement regime by prohibiting the payment of inducements in execution only environments uh, where no advice is provided uh, so considering the payment of order flow strengthening the principle of best interest of the client and improving disclosures to the client regarding the payment of inducements thank you um interesting um what do we so far know about the proposed ban for inducements in execution only sales yeah, so the ban uh, intended to uh, cover inducements paid from manufacturers to distributors in relation to the reception and transmission of the orders or the execution of orders uh, to or on behalf of retail clients. Um, and this ban will be subject to the same exemptions that exist under the current regime. Um, and in addition, the Commission will prepare within, well, hopefully three years' time uh, from the adoption of the uh, amended measures an assessment uh, of these inducements on retail investors. Uh, because there has been a lot of debate on whether or not the proposed regime indeed works uh, well or not for, for retail uh, clients. And if so required, it will consider proposing alternative measures, including a potential ban on all inducements. Thank you, Flora. Uh, and finally, let's just turn to timing. Uh, Hannah, when will the FCA's new rules apply? So the new post-trade transparency requirements will enter into force in April 2024. But the changes to the waivers from the pre-trade transparency regime and to the tick size regime will apply immediately. Uh, thanks, Anna. And Anna, in the EU? Yes, so in the EU, the MEFIR review is currently being finalized with trilog negotiations ongoing. And assuming that there is an agreement before the end of June, we should um, see the publication of the, um, of the final text in the official journal and it enter into application prospectively before, of the, uh, before the end of the year. Um, in respect of retail provisions that uh, Florge had talked about, um, these are at the very early stages of the legislative review process, and it is likely um, to continue for the coming months. Thank you, Anna. Um, my thanks to you all for sharing your thoughts today on this very interesting topic, and previous editions of our Split the Difference podcast can be found on our main podcast webpage located on the Regulation Tomorrow blog. We'll also continue to track developments in the market space on the blog too. For those of you researching markets-related legislation, don't forget that there is a very useful library located on our markets webpage 
on the Norton Rose Fulbright website. Many thanks for listening. That concludes this podcast. Goodbye.